This is Doty Land. Conversations from the Madison Isthmus. Here is Gregory Humphrey. Well, hello there and welcome to another podcast from the Madison Isthmus on Doty Land. In 1986, I was the chairperson of the Door County Democratic Party. Larry Swoboda, the state assemblyman, and I were campaigning in Door County. I was driving, and the Assembly Caucus had sent up a list of names in different locations where Larry really needed to go to specific doors and ask for their vote. Larry looked at the list about three seconds and threw the entire amount of paper back into the back seat of the car. I said, well, why did you do that? He said, look, when I go into these small towns and I walk up to one person's house, somebody else across the street is seeing me. If I don't go across the street and greet them too, and all the houses in between, people are going to say, what's wrong with Larry Swoboda? He didn't come to see me, but he sure stopped at the Joneses' house. Everybody likes to be asked for their vote. It's just a great memory that I have from campaigning. Campaigns should be fun. They should be uplifting. We're going to have an uplifting conversation today with a candidate. That's coming up after this. I'd like to welcome to Doty Land a Democratic candidate for the 76th Assembly District in Madison, Heather Driscoll. Welcome to Doty Land. Hi, Gregory. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you here. And I know that you have been in other campaigns, but nothing is quite normal today with the pandemic, businesses shut down, a lot of people unemployed, a lot of people uncertain about their futures and frightened about the virus. So What does that do to you as a candidate? How does that make your job more difficult? And what are you doing to sort of get over the hurdles, if you will, and connect with voters during this very unusual time? Yeah, well, it it definitely is an an unusual time. And I I have been uh, reaching out to voters through phone calls and uh, virtual events. I had an event last month for Sexual Assault Awareness Month and had a town hall with another assembly candidate, Nate Zimdars from District 41 up in Ripon. And it was a successful event and it was a great way to connect with constituents and also people from other parts of the state um, joined in. Uh, So yeah, in this time, it's really important to be creative and think of new ideas to get in touch with people. Uh, so I'll be continuing to do virtual events until it's safe to be meeting in person. And with gathering signatures, you know, that's definitely been a challenge uh, because I, I don't want to put anybody's safety at risk. So the typical way, you know, of gathering signatures is I would be going door to door, knocking on people's doors and asking them to sign my papers, or I'd be going to the market and um, standing outside and conversing with constituents that way and gathering signatures. But um, because because we um, are we have the social distancing in place, I've been doing the vast majority of it through mail and also through contactless bicycle delivery and bicycling nomination papers to people's doors and leaving it at their door for them to sign and then going back and picking it up or leaving a return uh, a return envelope with a stamp. A very Madison thing to do on your bicycle and being uh, proactive in terms of getting people politically engaged. That's fantastic. I'd, I'd like to find out how you feel on this 
topic, but also if you've talked with some of the constituents and some of the would-be voters about a mail-in election come November. We don't know what's going to happen. Most people in the scientific community uh-huh. think there's going to be a resurgence of the virus. I know you don't have a vote right now in the state assembly, but what do you hear from people that might vote for you, and how do you feel about the whole concept of a mail-in election? I think it's a wonderful idea, for, uh, especially during this time, and I have already requested absentee ballots for the remainder of the year and have been encouraging other people to do so as well because of the unpredictability uh, with the future elections if we don't end up in a situation like we did in April where people had to choose between putting themselves and their lives at risk or having the opportunity to exercise their right to vote. So I I definitely do support um, mail-in voting by mail and and then also i think it would be necessary to have some some sort of way for people that it's not possible for them to vote by mail maybe have like you know some locations where people could go to but not um, try to do as much as possible through mail you were a madison leader with moms demand action for gun safety in america and if i'm correct on this you helped prepare a rally uh at the state house and Mm -hmm. i know that this This issue of gun violence is not just a political one for you. It's not just something that makes a headline uh, too often in our papers. For you, this is a personal issue. And I don't want to go where you don't want to go emotionally, but if you want to fill in some of the blanks as to why this is a personal issue for you, I suspect some of our listeners would like to understand it better. Yeah, thank you for asking. It's actually something that I do speak openly about because I think it's important for people to talk about this issue and talk about why it's so important to change our laws and to have common sense gun laws. Uh, Because I am um, a gun violence survivor. Um, My dad died from gun suicide when I was two and a half years old. Uh, And he, he was a farmer, a fifth generation farmer actually, and was suffering from depression. And it was also planting season, which is a difficult time for farmers. And we've seen that in Wisconsin that, uh, you know, typically like across the nation right now, uh, gun deaths account for about two thirds, or I mean, suicides account for about two thirds of gun deaths. And in Wisconsin, 71% of gun deaths are suicide. So, you know, it's really um, an epidemic. And in Wisconsin, especially, it uh, disproportionately impacts farmers and veterans. And so it's something that, you know, I've spoken about with my experience with my dad. Um, And I also, in my 20s, so my dad died from gun suicide when he was 28 years old. And a few months before I turned 28, I I was living in San Francisco, and I was just a couple blocks from home, and I was held at gunpoint and um, had the experience of having a gun held up against me, and it was a very terrifying situation. And it wasn't until I started volunteering with Moms Demand Action that I even recognized that I was a gun violence survivor. And that's I think that says a lot about our country, and it says a lot about um, how prevalent gun violence really is, and and how many people have had experiences with gun violence and don't even realize that that they are too a survivor from having those traumatic experiences. What would you say to our listeners about what the Republican-led legislature did, or should I should perhaps say didn't do, by not taking up the special session that Tony Evers, the Governor Evers, called on this matter? What was your reaction when they 
basically gaveled in and gaveled out. Yeah, I was there that day at the Capitol, and it was it was infuriating, and I was very angry that they didn't even op- even offer an opportunity for there to be a debate or discussion to hear why why they weren't going to consider something as common sense as you know background checks and extreme risk protection orders. Uh, those two laws would save hundreds or thousands of lives, and there's really no reason why they shouldn't have had the opportunity to discuss them and to vote on them. And I want to express my sincere appreciation for being so candid and open about a topic that is personal for you, but I think that your honesty helps move the issue, and so I appreciate your candidness. On another topic, there are many people who are unemployed right now, as we talked at the beginning of this interview, due to the pandemic. Some of those jobs, sadly, will not be coming back. They just will be lost. And many of those people who have insurance tied to their jobs are going to find themselves in a chaotic situation regarding health care. Mm-hmm. What do you say to people that are sort of, well, they're very tense right now. There's a lot of anguish about what are we going to do in case we get sick and need, you know, a doctor and our insurance is tied to our job. I think that this uh, pandemic is definitely exposing, you know, many vulnerabilities and the fact that, yeah, so many people depend on law in our system. And I'm very supportive of expanding healthcare in our state and having a single payer healthcare system. And, um, you know, I think that's something that we need to continue to work for and to push for. And, and that people should also, you know, if they can use their personal stories and speak out and talk about why it's important for us to change the system, um, because it's not, you know, a bunch of nameless people who, um, who are having these problems, you know, with not having healthcare, there are real people having real repercussions because of it. Um, and I, I myself have had um, two family members that have passed away because of either inadequate or lack of health insurance. Um, you know, and, and so no, nobody should ever be in a situation where they are afraid to go to the hospital because they can't afford to pay for an emergency room bill. It has been many a budget cycle in the state of Wisconsin since we've had a comprehensive transportation budget. And so I'm a big reader of Wisconsin history, United States history, and there's no way to get around the fact that compromise is the oxygen of democracy. It's been that way since the beginning of the construct of our nation. I'm not going to ask you how you would fund or deal with the budget itself. I want to take you like to 30,000 feet above the topic and Uh ask you, People sit around their kitchen tables and they think government in Wisconsin is dysfunctional, it's broken, it can't solve the big problems. I think we're seeing that in some ways with this pandemic. People see the bickering, but they don't always see people coming together and unify over a solution. Take COVID, take the transportation budget. If you were elected to the assembly, what do you think you could bring your skill set? What dynamics do you have as an individual that would help bridge the divide, and perhaps get back to that point where we sit down, compromise, and solve the big problems that our state faces? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I think the fact that my background, um, my my family members, um, specifically my my mom and my stepdad and also my, um, my brother are all conservative. And so I'm, you know, I, I stand out in the family as, uh, in my immediate, um, or my my family growing up as being, you know, the political and progressive pr- 
progressive one in, in the family. And my mom, you know, typically was a swing voter before, but has become more conservative. Um, and my, my stepdad is very conservative. And we've had many, many discussions and some also very heated debates, but they're underneath it all, there's love, which I think, you know, has allowed us to continue staying connected and to have these really hard discussions, but at the end of the day, still really love each other. And I think that it's prepared me really well to understand the perspective um, that people who are more conservative have uh, and understand some of the areas where we could find common ground. Um, initially, when I started talking about gun violence prevention and common sense gun laws, uh, I heard a lot of the talking points coming back at me from conservative television and conservative radio about, oh, well, we can't change the laws. Criminals will still find a way to get to get guns. Um, and I had a lot of conversations um, with my family members. And at last fall, when the special session happened, I encouraged my mom and my stepdad to write a letter to their representative, who is a Republican representative in Delafield. And they, they did, they wrote her letter and said that we, we want to see there be a vote um, in the special session, um, you know, passing common sense gun laws like the background checks and the extreme risk protection orders. And now they, they understand, like with all of the statistics I've shared, but also from the personal experiences I've had, they're supportive now. And so it's something that, you know, I think there are areas and there are a lot of people in the state, they've done some polls and 80% of people across the state agree with with this legislation and so there are ways that we can we can come together and and pass laws to make everybody safer you grew up in a home much like i did i was the lone democrat progressive liberal oh, yeah. among <laughs> many many conservatives staunch conservatives my father had voted for barry goldwater so that tells you how extreme if you will with the republican oh, mindset <laughs> but he turned around in his later years after the invasion of iraq and became a Democrat, which is quite an amazing sort of turnaround. But so there's always hope. That's, I guess, why I tell that story. The Wisconsin State Journal for a number of yeah, years, well. the Wisconsin State Journal for a number of years has editorialized that political boundaries should be taken out of the drawing of by the state legislature and put into the hands of a commission, much akin to what Iowa does and has done successfully for at least 20 years. What's your feeling on a commission that could handle the boundary drawing of our political districts? I absolutely think it's the right thing to do. Um, I think that, you know, we need a new process and um, that we need fair maps and it shouldn't be a, a situation where politicians choose their voters. Um, it should be that, you know, voters choose their elected officials. And so uh, I definitely, agree with a nonpartisan approach to the redistricting of the maps. Do you think the role of a legislator, if you were to be elected, is to take, if you will, the temperature of your constituents and vote with a majority opinion? Or do you think that perhaps the role of a legislator should be, I'm there to gather data, listen to the professionals, get as much information, read it, let it soak in, and perhaps vote in a way that is contrary to my district, and in that process, lead them to a new way of looking at an issue. If you were elected, which one of those would you gravitate towards? What, what, what do you see the role of a legislator to be? Yeah, I think that's a good question, but I think it would definitely be, you know, on a case-by-case -case situation where um, you have to take into account 
the the experts and also the people who are most impacted by decisions and come up you know with with a plan that best suits you know what what is best for my constituents and also what's best for the entire state and sometimes those those two might differ you know what is best for my district and what would be best for the whole rest of the state and I think it's something that I would take into account you know on a case-by-case situation like what what would be the greater good for all I'd like to conclude this interview with a question, and I do want to say this interview is going to uh, be ending with the same question for everybody that I have the opportunity to talk with um, who's running for this assembly seat. What book is now on your table or sofa that you're currently reading? <laughs> yeah, I'm actually, I actually had it right here. Um, it's uh, a book. Where is it? It's Mary Lang Sillinger's book. Um, uh that she wrote about her experience working on President Obama's campaign and helping with fundraising and knocking doors. And so I'm about halfway through that. And I actually had it. I don't see it right here, though. I was going to show it to you. <laughs> um, yeah, and it's a very, very fascinating book um, because it's actually based, you know, part of the story is based here in Madison and talking about her experience of getting a phone call and being asked to put on a fundraiser for candidate Obama before he was elected. And then um, her experience of going and knocking doors in Iowa and going to Indiana and other parts of the country. So uh, yeah, it's very a very good read and I would recommend it. One of the joys of doing a virtual interview, and unfortunately my listeners and our listeners will not be able to see what you were doing, but you were looking in all different directions at your home for yeah. the book. <laughs> It's, it was quite wonderful to see. I, and thank you for that response, by the way, um, because I love books. And part of the reason of asking that question is selfish, because I like to get new book titles and new ideas from what others are reading. So it's not just a good way to end an interview, but it's also kind of self-serving, I guess. Heather, yeah. I, I want to thank you, Heather, for taking the opportunity to sit down with me and the listeners of Doty Land. And I want you to be safe on the campaign trail, but have fun. Campaigns sometimes get really too bombastic, and it, they are a frothy enterprise, but have fun on the campaign trail and all the best to you. Oh, thank you so much. Oh, and Gregory, I just want to add that the title of the book is From Inspiration to Activism, A Personal Journey Through Obama's Presidential Campaign. You found it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thank you so much. Yeah, thank you, Gregory. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. You can find out more about today's guest and related material and contact information on the Doty Land Facebook page. Please join and become a friend. And thank you for joining us today on Doty Land. Mm-hmm.